Hi there. I'm Eric Word Weaver Sherman, Cody of the Ridgar Folk here in East Texas, and I would like to welcome you to the Raven's Call. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects, just kind of whatever strikes my fancy, sets my mind on fire at the time. So, big UPG warning at the beginning of all these things. As always, uh, this is just my take on heathenry. This is not, I'm, I'm by no means the end-all be-all on anything in regards to this. I just like to share my worldview, and you guys seem to enjoy it, so I keep sharing it out. It's fun. I like to talk about the subjects, and uh, some of you at least like to, to listen to them, so works for both of us. <laughs> so keep in mind that my views as reflected in these videos are indeed just that. My views, my take on heathenry, my take on the world. I do encourage you to go out and do your own research, do your own thinking, and build your own view on the world, your own worldview. Uh, I'm one of those guys that will tell you that do not pay attention to the individuals that are saying you're doing it wrong. Um, Take time and figure out your way of doing things. Your hearth cult is your hearth cult, and they cannot tell you anything with regards to how you run your hearth cult, okay? They can tell you about how things may have been done historically and whether or not you're right or wrong in regards to recreating historical practices, but if that's not your bag and you're just trying to find a relationship with the gods and goddesses, ancestors, spirits, and your folk in the modern day, then, you know, <laughs> and the, the historical bearing on that is is what you will make of it and therefore there's not a wrong way to do that it's up to you so anyway onwards and upwards housekeeping stuff before we get started if you guys like the videos please hit like down below comment i'm getting some great comments on my more recent videos um the you know what do i need to start being a heathen video just blew up real fast um at the time of i'm shooting this like a couple of hours after that one went live because you know i stack these up a little ways in advance and try to film when I can when I can film and so uh, at this point it's it's outperforming the other videos significantly now it's a clickbaity kind of title but it kind of makes sense but that is a question I get a lot so it was time to do that particular video now today we're gonna jump into the subject that has been an issue for a long time in heathenry and it's one that nobody really those in the know talk about it. Those that don't know how to address it don't know how to address it. You know, I mean, that's a roundabout redundant way of saying it's a touchy subject sometimes, but largely because people don't know necessarily what to label it and what it looks like. And this is the subject of hypermasculinity within heathenry. And heathenry is something that especially during the 80s and 90s, we get a huge influx of, uh, in the early aughts, thanks to the whole Vikings TV show, we get an, an influx of those that are of the more brosatrue or the more superficial heathen levels. Um, you get those that are fantasists, you get those that are uh, just driven by the aesthetic that they have assigned to heathenry. Keep in mind, I'm saying assigned to heathenry because most of what they are associating with heathenry is what popular media has told them to associate with Vikings in general. Now, this isn't just limited to that, okay? This isn't just limited to, I'm a Viking dude bro stuff. We've already covered that. This specifically is the issue of hyper-masculinity. Now, I've gotten questions about, you know, what's the role of women in heathenry today, etc., etc. That's a tough question to answer and this one that I'm going to come back to in a future episode uh, because it does deserve its own episode and I have to figure out how to wrap my head around an answer on that one because it is a complicated 
is one of those that it's like, well, nah, of course. But then in the same, it's like, well, all right, newbies may need this talked about, so we'll talk about it. And some of the more seasoned may have some really good insights to give in the comments and whatnot down below in that episode. But on the subject of hypermasculinity, what is hypermasculinity? Well, in the modern era, we've got terms for everything, buzz terms, uh, buzzwords, slang, jargon, whatever. And you end up with a lot of talk about things like toxic masculinity, uh, positive masculinity, things like this. And the role of masculinity within heathenry is a, it's a very deep and very complicated subject to discuss. It's one of those things that you can discuss ad nauseum over time because there are multiple facets to it that one can discuss and one can interpret. And there's a lot of subjectivity to the terms, um, especially in what is regarded as masculine. So hyper in this term, we're going to break it down specifically. Hyper, we're going to look at as being uh, hyperbolic, above and beyond, exaggerated. Exaggerated is the key here. Um, you've got exaggerated masculinity, the idea of what it is to be a man. So you've got this subject of hypermasculinity is this exaggerated concept of manhood, this exaggerated concept of the character characteristics that make up being masculine. And it's, it's oh man, so much of it is so subjective and so aesthetic as far as the traits and whatnot that we associate with masculinity. That is in and of itself a long conversation. So we're going to grab some gestalt elements here that play into the hypermasculinity um, phenomenon as I see it. Okay. You have specific elements such as uh, the warrior uh, ideology of manhood, the, um, the, physicality element of manhood, the forcefulness, the alpha aggressiveness that is associated with this. Keep in mind, we're talking about a caricature of masculinity. We're not talking about what does it actually mean to be masculine. We're talking about a caricature above and beyond exaggerated hyperbolic in nature. And so the subject, when you come up to hypermasculinity, you see these individuals that see, in order to be a man, I have to be big and burly and swole. I have to be a warrior in all things. I have to be aggressive. I have to be decisive. And a lot of the ideology that gives birth to misogyny comes from a hypermasculine standpoint. Hypermasculinity is not something that is specific to heathenry. It just poses some specific problems within heathenry because of aesthetics. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. But it's this idea of taking this storybook picture of a man and blowing it up into real life and trying to make real life out of that caricature. That is a problem because true masculinity, as in true anything within humanity, is nuanced. It is multifaceted. There's multiple levels that go on here and different elements. You know, one of the big beefs that I have in modern day is that um, intellectualism has been stricken from masculinity as far as the canon in Western society. Uh, individuals who are intellectual, who are well-educated, are seen as less masculine than those individuals who are uh, physical Adonis and yet 
dumb as a box of rocks, but because they're hardworking and they're made of brick and mortar, they're seen as more masculine than the individual who is a well-rounded, well-educated individual who may not be built like Colossus, but is, you know, well, built like me, for say. Um, and therefore, they're, they're seen as less masculine as a result. And this is a popular narrative that is not... Keep in mind, when I'm talking about these generalizations, people, I'm not talking about people's individual experiences, all right? Because you're going to have individuals that you're just like, I'll get comments like, oh, my tribe is, you know, we love the intellectuals, we love blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I get it, I get it, all right? This is not an individual's story. This is the story of a gestalt. This is the story of a generalized perception within Western society that is having a negative impact on heathenry in and of itself. So you get this exaggerated form of man, you, and especially with those individuals that try to drive for a primalist approach. Um, there are some specific groups out there that really push this, and I'm not going to name names specifically simply because of slander issues and whatnot. But there are some specific groups out there that I can list off, four or five of them that I can think of off the top of my head, which really drive this hyper-masculine kind of uh, persona within their individuals. Now, the problem with the hyper-masculine is that, one, it's not real world. It's not, it's not an accurate view of masculinity in the first place. It is superficial, it is shallow, and it, it is two-dimensional. It leaves no depth, no nuance to an individual. The same thing can be said for hyper-femininity, um, although we don't see that nearly as much. And again, part of that is because of a push within the Western society for this hyper-masculine element. Now, yes, a lot of toxic masculinity is tied into the hyper-masculine uh, viewpoint, but that's a different subject and I'm not getting into all of that because my view is more on the psychological standpoint of things involved and not necessarily the modern political terminology that's involved. So um, my stances aren't necessarily in line with anybody's out there. <laughs> so that's not the subject matter. Now, hypermasculinity, as I see it, showing up in heathenry. I see some specific groups that pop up and they want to drive this primal Neolithic version of heathenry. Um, I have seen groups that will strip down to loincloths and then dance around in a circle and, and slice themselves open and spray blood on people. Yes, I was there for that particular incident. A number of you know what I'm talking about. And then there was the subsequent incident the next year. Anyway, some of you in the know know exactly what I'm talking about in the Midwest. Um, some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about and he's kind of losing me, but still. The instance that I'm talking about is these individuals that take this idea, this image of this Neolithic male, uh, and then all this action and this this movement and this this hyper-masculine version of themselves. It's, it's not them truly. It is a washed-down version of themselves thrown into this ritual, and it is not reflective of their people. It's not reflective of their surrounding folk community. It is not reflective of any of the other individuals within the other tribes that they may be interacting with. It's completely off-base on so many things. How does this continue to show up in heathenry today? Well, we see this 
Like the Barossa True element, we see this over-identification with the Viking, okay? We see these guys that come through and feel like they have to be warrior cult. They have to be warrior cult. Why do they have to be warrior cult? Because they are told that that is all men are good for. And therefore, that is the role that they must fill. Again, see back to my whole demonization of intellectualism within masculinity today. I could do an entire video on that one alone. Um, but it's, it's a thing. Uh, trust me, there's a number of issues that, that ladies experience with any of the three too that will be addressed, um, that need to be addressed. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's a thing. So there's this over-identification with the Viking. Now, again, I've, I've covered that in the Barossa True side of things because it is superficial. It is specifically tied to an image. And it is this this two-dimensional image that they try to make real life and it just doesn't work it is not the full picture of heathenry it is not the full picture of a man's role within heathenry because it eschews some of the other roles that men can fill within heathenry it doesn't you know the hypermasculine element of heathenry doesn't allow for that dad that sits there in a tutu and has tea with his little daughter because the four-year-old said daddy let's have tea if a little four-year-old says, Daddy, let's have tea, you have tea. And that's how it goes, because that little girl has got you wrapped around her finger. Now, the hyper-masculine response to this is to buck that, because, oh, no, I can't do that. That's not manly. It's not manly, but it is. It's manly to care for your children. It's manly to step in and, and, and be that model for your child on what a man can do for them and be there for them, the sacrifices that they, that they can make for those kids. It's important to show the kid that your emotion, your caring for them, your nurturing for them is far more important than the image that you put out. The problem with hypermasculinity is it's all about image. All of it. It's all about image. Because that's all they understand, typically. They will apply superficial ideology, superficial spirituality, uh, anything that they can to reinforce their viewpoint of this this image as reality um, the same kind it's the same phenomenon that comes up with white supremacists with um, you know the, the purebloods and things like that they create this uh, eschewed and false worldview and then they surround themselves with an echo chamber of information and people of shared opinions that reinforce this worldview and then they bubble themselves off from everybody else to shore this worldview up and then they explode all over everybody else because they feel that they must then impose this worldview on everyone else because everyone else is wrong they don't understand that you know these beta males are useless and you need to be alpha male and blah, blah, blah. that's not true not that way um because the concept of alpha male as they've exhibited it here is an issued thing it is not an accurate view of what a leader is and that's what an alpha is an alpha male is not necessarily one that is just big huge and burly you can be less physically imposing but still be an alpha because you're a natural born leader you are someone to whom people look to and follow and this is not gender specific because anyone can have those leadership qualities our lore is rife with wonderfully strong women who stepped up and led and i mean look at the stories of on the deep minded um, she was an, a very interesting individual you can look and see a number of queens a number of individuals that step up and are just 
incredible individuals. We get the stories of the Valkyries, worked right in there with the Lord, Brunhild and Sigurd. You've got all of these wonderful examples of strength from multiple directions, strength from masculine, strength from feminine. So the over-identification of strength with male is something that is blown out of proportion with this caricature of masculinity that you see in hypermasculinity. Now, I think by now you guys have a fairly good idea of what I mean by hypermasculinity and what that may look like within heathenry, but what kind of problems does it pose within heathenry today? Well, the problems that it poses are wide and varied, and you don't necessarily think about them until it's too late because you see groups that form up around this hypermasculine idea, this this caricature, like I said. And so they try to build their community around this imagery and this aesthetic that we've already established as two-dimensional and, and has no depth to it. And so they create a community that has no depth, that has no nuance. It is all about the guys that are involved. It's all about feeding their ego. It's all about, you know, them looking like big badass Vikings and then stepping up and being all raw and then their women are subservient to them whether they may say that they're not but then you look at it actually play out and pretty much it is unless the females exhibit the same hypermasculinity that the males do and then they're sucked up into the faux warrior cult and I use the term faux warrior cult because that is not what warrior cult is yes there is an element of hypermasculinity within the warrior cult as it can play out, but it is not one of those kind of... There's a specific reason for everything. Strength is valued within the warrior cult because strength equals survival, okay? Not everyone is warrior cult. That is the thing that most people, uh, when I see them fall into these traps, trip up on is that they feel like men have to fit within the warrior cult because that is the Viking thing. Uh, we're not barbarians, people. Uh, heathens weren't barbarians. Uh, yes, we're identified as barbarians in a number of the things. I used to, I actually boycotted History Channel for a long time because all they showed was this whole Vikings as barbarian thing for the longest time. And I figured out real fast when I was a kid that the History Channel is not about actual factual stuff. Um, it's, it's all about sensationalism, etc., etc., etc. So, the. This, this ideology that, that heathens were all barbarians, that Vikings were all barbarians, because it's largely it's tied on that Viking period element. It eschews uh, men as craftsmen. It, it, it doesn't look at men as farmers, as men as fathers, men as leaders of tribes, because your chieftain wasn't always just a warrior leader. Yes, he needed to step up when things got busy, and he needed to fight when things needed fighting for. That was a thing, but that's a thing today as it is as it was back then is that all men need to be ready to fight, but all women do too. We need to be ready to step up and defend that which is important to us when the time comes. And there's the whole twist in modern Western society where that's not necessarily as valued as it used to be uh, by at least certain portions of the general public. And so you end up with more division. Now, there are those that were specialists at it that became warrior cult and filled that specific role because they were really, really good at it. 
that's fine. But they made up a small percentage of the population. A vast majority of the population was not warrior cult. That was set aside. That was a separate culture from the generalized culture that most everybody else belonged to. So as we build our tribes in the modern day, we have to think about the fact that it's not about trying to recreate an image that we see in a storybook. It is not about some Wagnerian image of the Vikings that was put up on stage 100 years ago. It's not about this hyperbolic representation of the storybook version of Vikings that we were given. Because the Viking Age is actually the tail end of heathenry. It is the death throes of heathenry. Viking Age is when everything heathen was winding down and the conversion of Christianity was coming over. And so heathenry is, as represented in the Viking Age, is actually a whole mess of syncretism between heathenry and uh, Islam because we'd started having some influences from there, from Christianity, um, from Eastern philosophy, because the world was becoming smaller. People were becoming connected. And so people were sharing. And Northern Europeans liked to share culture. That was a thing, uh, widely spread. They, they were not particularly xenophobic in uh, Northern Europe. There was a lot of sharing of culture, a lot of sharing of arts and crafts and, and, and all of those things. They were traders, largely. And so a more accurate version of the generalized Northern European male during the time would be someone who was a fisherman or a trader or a craftsman. It would look much more like a medieval English type village and roles they would play therein, but with the specific cultural aesthetics that were native to Northern Europe or to mainland Europe, depending on which branch of heathenry that you're looking at. If you go further back into more into the Neolithic era of things and uh, try, try to use some of the archaeological evidence to go back that far, you can get a gist of some of the belief structures, some of the gods that they worshipped. Um, you can look at some of the ritual elements that were there. But this is before recorded history. So we're having to piece together things and it's like trying to put together a puzzle without all the pieces and there's no picture to compare it to. So you, people are doing the best they can with what they have, and there's some really wonderful insights that come out of that. Um, there's some Bronze Age stuff that's really incredible. Um, just all kinds of things that you can stumble into and help to round out your culture as you see fit to incorporate these things, depending on how they fit within your own specific hearth cult and tribal aesthetic. <clears throat> but that is not the hypermasculine element. You know, we can't, you can't build an entire community based on a caricature. You can't go through and try to develop a set of thews and views and worldviews based on a two-dimensional image of a big burly Viking barbarian and then expect your culture to grow and prosper and for people therein to be happy. Because any leader who steps up and tries to build a culture for their community needs the focus to be on the happiness of those individuals within the culture. It is not about the leader. The leader themselves serves the people. Their role is to step up and guide these individuals and to provide them with the opportunities to be happy, to find self-worth, to find fulfillment in their own actions. You try to set a stage that they can perform on and be proud of, and then you can express pride in them, and then everyone works together because it all 
meshes together. There's a reason for people to be invested. It's not a top-down kind of thing. It's bottom-up. It's grassroots. That's why I'm huge on grassroots heathenry. This ideology of hyper-masculinity does not fit in with grassroots heathenry. It doesn't fit in with heathenry in general because it is an over-focus on a character and is not real-world. Heathenry is real-world. It is living with the world that we have around us it is building our worldview and understanding of the world around us and dealing with our people, our individual tribes, our individual hearths, and building community and, and growing from that, or growing as a hearth and building your hearth cult. The, that's where things are at. Now, like I said, these are generalizations. I'm not one that's going to sit here and say, well, you can't do that because that's not masculine. Or somebody who comes in who is a big burly dude who is, you know, what would normally be the, the image of hyper-masculinity. I mean, take, for example, a Jason Momoa kind of guy who's just this giant behemoth of a dude, but he's not an asshole about it. He's, he's that kind of guy that people just charismatically want to follow. And it's not about that. That's just kind of who he is and he runs with it. I know individuals personally who exhibit this, who are these large burly Viking looking dudes, but it's not about that. You know, they're not trying to put on an aesthetic. That's just how they grew. You know, that's just how their body turned out. They're still artisans. They're still craftsmen. They still love art. They still love music. Um, I have seen these big burly Viking dudes sit down to tea with their daughters. Um, I've borne witness to it and picked up a teacup because it was held out to me. So, you know, it's one of those things that you just kind of roll with it, you know? It's it's life, you live life, life is fluid, life is organic, it is growing and ever-changing. So we have to be too. And a lot of the, a lot of the pigeonholing that we try to do with uh, gender politics and whatnot today uh, just doesn't fit on, on heathenry because that wasn't a thing back then. Um, it's not, the focus wasn't necessarily on gender and the roles. Now there were some gender roles that played into things, but that was more just how the culture kind of grew up, you know? There was, uh, and we'll go more into this later, but you know, it was generally accepted that, you know, the, the woman was the, the lady of the hall and she ruled the roost when it came to the house and what happened within the house. That was her domain because if the guy was out trading or hunting or doing whatever it was that he needed to do out there in the world to provide for the household, somebody still had to run the household and that was her business. And you did not come back and mess with her business because she still had to have that house running. You could come in and make a fool of yourself with your friends and everything at feast, but she was still gonna have to keep that place running when you stepped out to go hunt because that's where the real work is at. And so that was a thing. Um, so what, I'm, I'm tangenting on this one because it gets into a number of different subjects that all kind of play in together. But the gist that we come down to with all of this is that it's dangerous to build on caricatures of gender roles and, and expectations of this, this image of a gender uh, within a society and use that as a template to build community. It just, it doesn't work, it doesn't jive. So I have seen the effects of individuals that have built communities around this hyper-masculine kind of uh, aesthetic and what it has done when they try to mesh with the outside world and they don't mesh at all. Uh, they are rejected by the outside world, they're pushed away, and they cause chaos and ruckus when they come into this. I have seen um, individuals that do the whole kind of, there are some 
the mind not not globalizing. Uh, there are some that fall into like the MC, the motorcycle club um, side of things that do put on that hyper masculine element, um, all a you know Sons of Anarchy kind of thing, and portray themselves in that version because they see themselves as modern Vikings. That is not everyone. That is not, I know individuals that do not fit into that, that are in MCs and are really cool folks. I love them. Um, hardcore folks, uh, good, good people. There are some that I won't give the time of day because they're jokes, but that's that's true in any groupings like that. You know, I, I can talk about a number of heathen tribes that I have in, met with and have seen and witnessed that I wouldn't give the time of day because they're, a thing. So anyway, we guard against these things by having conversations amongst ourselves, you know? If you've got a tribe going, if you've got a group going, have a conversation. Sit down and discuss amongst the group because there's some great stuff that you can talk about, about what is the role of masculinity within heathenry today? What is the role of the man within the household? What is the role of the man within society? What is the role of women within the household and within this society? How can we better develop our view as a culture on these subjects and not just run off the heuristics and heuristics are automatic neural pathways that are established because of repetition and enculturation. Um, not just based off of these heuristics and these automatic assumptions that we make, how do we develop our own views? What do we really think about these things? And you will find it very freeing when you realize you don't have to answer to anybody but your tribe as to how your tribe operates. Not their hall, not their call. You guys do you. So, it's a thing. It is a thing. But it is extremely frustrating. And I see it pop up periodically, this whole hyper-masculine element of things where men are shamed if they don't fall into this whole hyper-masculine side of things. And I'm gonna tell you real quick, guys, like I've said in the shame thing before, shame only works if you wanna to belong to the social structure that is shaming you. Uh, that's, that's the way that that works. And if they're trying to apply shame to you and you don't wanna to belong to their structure, then it's ineffective. You cannot let that get to you, all right? Do not let them shame you for not being this hyper-masculine element if that's not your aesthetic and you don't want to belong to that. If, you, if you've got a good hearth and a good you know, tribe or community that you're in, don't let somebody from the outside shame you on how you are to behave within it, etc., etc., etc. I mean, look to those people within that community and they will show you what their expectations of you are and uh, you can build your identity within there that way. Um, you know, the, a truest, the truest mirror of oneself is the eyes of their loved ones, not, uh, not the outside world, because it doesn't get a complete view, it doesn't get a complete picture. And sometimes that mirror is warped, such as with these super hyper-masculine groups. And I, again, I mean, I've, I've got like names that keep jumping to mind and I'm having to really slow myself down so that I don't say them specifically because I could call them out real quick. You know, you're gonna try and create some, some, and I see a lot of it with like Viking oriented health things. Like they wanna build uh, the, the Viking workout routine and then it grows into a community. Um, I see it around some of the military elements, some of, not all of, um, but there are some of those individuals that are more meathead come out of the military and they only ever got that kind of brosatru level superficial element of heathenry and therefore they identify with the, the Viking element, die in battle, go to Valhalla, etc, etc, etc. 
and then they bring that hypermasculine element back to the civilian world and it just doesn't jive it doesn't work because they're trying to recreate what they had when they were within the warrior cult of western society and uh, it, that's such a super complicated thing um, it's not to cast aspersions on anyone in particular it's just a matter of the transition we do a very poor job in america of assisting and facilitating the transition from warrior cult back to civilian cult and uh, it's arguable whether or not transitions like that really occurred back in the day. Um, it's like if you were warrior, warrior cult, you pretty much were warrior cult all the way through until you just couldn't anymore and then you taught young warriors. So that's that kind of gist of things there. So think about this as you go through and you look at these groups. Don't necessarily <laughs> look at a group who's well-established and is all over social media and think, oh, they must be doing it right. I need to model after them because they could be one of these super hyper-masculine groups, and you'll know real quick, um, it's pretty evident, um, because <clears throat> that's not going to serve you in the long run. It's not going to help your community grow. You need to be looking to your community and, and, and building from that end. Build from the grassroots. You don't need somebody else to tell you how to do it. Do it yourself. Do it from the grassroots up. Something else we're going to come back to in a future video, too. Um, the whole idea of dependency within heathenry as has been indoctrinated by Western society. Mm, that's going to be a fun one. So think about these things as you go through and make sure that the community that you are building is indeed reflective of everyone that's involved. You need to think about, especially if you're the leader of a tribe, you need to be thinking about representation of the different elements within your tribe. Don't listen to social media and what they tell you needs to be represented within your tribe. Don't listen to hyper-masculine groups, far-right groups, far-left groups. It doesn't matter. Don't listen to any of those groups telling you what needs to be reflected in your tribe. Don't look at well-established groups that have been around for 20 years that have guild structures and all of that within there and feel like you have to shoehorn that into your tribe. Build your tribe based on your people. Build your cultural aesthetic based on the culture of the individuals therein and listen to them. Build with them. <laughs> you know, they are the backbone of, they are the culture. And so if you try and shoehorn them into something, then it's not them. They're not their authentic selves. And that's what a tribe needs to be, this gathering of authentic individuals who are there for an authentically common goal. And if it's not, then what are you doing? You know, I mean, anyway, it's a, another conversation that could spin off from this and be super deep. So anyway, that's, that's going to be the ramble for today. Marty hitting. Um, it's 37 minutes before I edit out all of the the editing and stuff like that, but I don't bring it back down closer to 30 minutes. But anyway, that's kind of the gist on the whole, whole hyper-masculinity side of things. Um, it is a problem because it does make people uncomfortable when they try to interact with others outside of it because they are a caricature. And you will see it, and it's okay to have a visceral reaction to seeing this, this kind of, what are you doing, guys, kind of thing, you know? So take that into account as you build your cultures, as you develop your tribes, and make sure that you're not being overly influenced by that. Be you, and work from the grassroots up. Don't don't let the outside influences get to you. All right. So anyway, thank you guys for watching. I know this was kind of rambly, but it's a weird subject to try and wrap my head around. But I saw it pop up in social media here recently, again, like I always do, and I felt like okay, this is something that needs to be addressed because I still see. It. I mean, I'll see it pop up in individuals in the comments from like. Mm. Okay, uh, not always, but 
every once in a while somebody will pop up with something and I'm like no 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 we need to talk about this real quick so anyway thank you all hail to you may your hearth fires burn bright